as a librarian at a K-8 school. I get to put books in the hands of a lot of students. There's the everybody section for the younger grades, which consists of picture books and the early chapter books for the blossoming reader. Once a student hits second or third grade, they can begin to venture into the fiction section and eventually crack open books like Goosebumps, Magic Treehouse, and Geronimo Stilton before arriving at Harry Potter and Percy Jackson. Since the school I work at is a K-8 building, I even have a separate fiction section for the more mature reader, a kid who can handle some death, trauma, thrills, chills, and the occasional kissy-kissy. Then, of course, there's the graphic novel section and the vast assortment of nonfiction. In fact, the nonfiction section is where I got the numeric part of my show's name, Curator 135. In the Dewey Decimal System, books in the 130 section fall into the category of parapsychology and occultism. 135 specifically is titled Dreams and Mysteries. Being someone who works in a library, I thought having a podcast with a nod to dreams and mysteries would be a nice tie-in. So, then what's left in the library? What's the one section that people generally only go to when they're writing a report about someone famous, either in sports, entertainment, or history? The biography section. One look at my biography section will leave you feeling underwhelmed. 80% of my collection is from the 70s and 80s. It's the least updated section by far. I have 30 books on Abraham Lincoln, a dozen on Martin Luther King, a couple on a tennis star that no one's ever heard of, a book about a retired baseball player that has more dust than fingerprints on it, and of course all the typical big names you'd expect to see. Thanks to the Who Was series, I was able to add some good names to the list, but it's still not enough. Something I am sorely lacking are books devoted to African-American inventors, scientists, activists, and entertainers. Sure, there's a few books on Harriet Tubman, Muhammad Ali, Maya Angelou, Frederick Douglass, and Michael Jordan, but there aren't a whole lot on Thurgood Marshall, Sojourner Truth, Booker T. Washington, and Madam C.J. Walker. A quick search through my library catalog, and zero results came up for a man named Garrett Morgan. Anyone looking for a book on this particular gentleman wouldn't find one in my library, and that's a problem, because Garrett Morgan is a man that everyone should know about. So that's who we'll dedicate this episode to. Let's find out as much as we can about one of the greatest inventors in the past 200 years that you've possibly or probably never heard of. Episode 23, Black Edison. In the year 1877, Thomas Alva Edison invented the phonograph in his laboratory in Menlo Park, New Jersey. The phonograph, like a record player or gramophone, was an instrument for recording, reproducing, and playing back sounds. That same year, 680 miles away in Claysville, Kentucky, a man named Garrett Morgan was born. Garrett was the seventh of 11 children. His parents were both freed slaves of mixed race. His dad, Sidney Morgan, was the son of Confederate Brigadier General John Hunt Morgan. Civil War buffs will remember that name well, as he led a group called Morgan's Raiders north through Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio. The raid was used as a diversionary tactic by Confederate cavalry. Carried out between June 11th and June 26, 1863, 
The raid coincided with the Vicksburg Campaign and the Gettysburg Campaign. Its purpose was to draw Union troops away from those fronts by scaring the North into bringing troops back home. The plan worked for a while, causing some alarm, but it would be written into the history books as a failure. Morgan and his command were eventually forced to surrender in northeastern Ohio. He and his more senior commanders were imprisoned at the Ohio Penitentiary. Eventually, however, they tunneled their way out, took a train to Cincinnati, and crossed the Ohio River to safety. Garrett's mother, Elizabeth, was also a freed slave. She was the daughter of a Baptist reverend named Garrett Reed. Elizabeth was of Native American and African descent. As a child, Garrett made it through the sixth grade at Branch Elementary School in Claysville. At the age of 14, he moved to Cincinnati, Ohio to find work. He took a job as a handyman for a wealthy landowner, spending part of his income on hiring a tutor to help him continue his studies. In 1895, at the age of 18, he moved to Cleveland and was hired by a clothing manufacturer. His main job was repairing sewing machines. It was these sewing machines that really sparked his interest in learning exactly how things worked. He earned a reputation around town for being a prolific repairman and was always coming up with ways to better the machines. His first invention was a belt fastener for sewing machines, and then he came up with an attachment that could do a zigzag pattern. A year after his move to Cleveland, Garrett Morgan married a woman named Madge Nelson. Two years later, the couple divorced. Being on his own gave Garrett a chance to focus on his work, and in 1907, he opened his own sewing machine shop. As he grew older, he also got more in touch with his heritage, and in 1908 helped start the Cleveland Association of Colored Men. Side note, apparently Mr. Morgan was the first African American to own a car in the city of Cleveland. That same year, he married the love of his life, a Bavarian woman named Mary Ann Hassock. Hassock had prior experience as a seamstress, and together, the couple opened Morgan's Cut-Rate Ladies Clothing Store. Their shop made and sold coats, suits, and dresses. At its peak, the store employed over 30 people. In 1909, Morgan began working on a solution for a problem he'd been experiencing in his shop. On occasion, the sewing machine needle would be working at such a high rate of speed that the friction would leave burn marks on woolen fabric. To help alleviate the problem, he experimented with different chemicals. The solution he created helped by providing a lubricant for the needles. But then he noticed that it also straightened the hairs on the fabric. Morgan borrowed his neighbor's dog, applied the solution, and saw that it straightened the dog's fur too. His next step was to try the solution on his own head of hair. When that worked, he started the G.A. Morgan Hair Refining Company, changing the liquid to a cream and marketing the product to African Americans. By 1913, the company proved to be a big hit. Morgan made enough money that it gave him time to pursue other interests. Garrett and Marianne had three children together, all of which were boys, John, Garrett Jr., and Cosmo. As the Morgan family grew, Garrett received a patent for his new invention in 1914. He called this new invention the safety hood, although ultimately it would become the prototype used to create the gas masks that were used in World War I. The safety hood featured a spooky, kind of half-robot, half-horror-movie-looking hood that covered the entirety of your head and shoulders. Think Devo meets Beekeeper. I'll have pictures of it up on Curator135.com. From the bottom of the hood in the front, two large tubes wrapped around your waist and met at a Y near the small of your back. 
From there, a singular intake tube dangled down like a tail, just above the floor. At the intake tube's entrance, he placed a moist sponge inside to help filter out smoke and cool down the air. Garrett knew that smoke and fumes tend to rise to higher positions while leaving a layer of more breathable air below. Before making the device available to the public, he founded a new company called the National Safety Device Company. Morgan put a lot of effort into marketing his new invention. He traveled the country visiting various fire departments. While he found that there was interest in the Midwest and Northeast, these were still racist times. Buyers in the South may have liked the idea, but there was no way that they'd buy anything being sold by a black man. Garrett Morgan, being highly intelligent, found a workaround. He hired a white actor to pose as the inventor during the presentations. Morgan himself would take on the role of sidekick, dressed up in cheap Native American garb. The white inventor would send his sidekick, Big Chief Mason, into a tent full of fumes and smoke while wearing his hood. Big Chief Mason would hang out inside the tent for a while and come out a few minutes later unharmed. It worked. Sales skyrocketed, especially from firefighters and rescue workers. On July 24th of 1916, his invention would become known nationally. The city of Cleveland was drilling a tunnel under Lake Erie looking for a fresh water supply. When workers hit a pocket of natural gas, it created a massive explosion that killed many of the men instantly and left those who were still alive trapped amidst suffocating noxious fumes and dust. Someone at the mine remembered hearing of Morgan's invention and went to find him. Still in their pajamas, Morgan and his brother Frank grabbed four safety hoods and made their way to the tunnel. By the time Morgan arrived, two rescue attempts had already failed, with the men sent in to find survivors becoming victims themselves. The men standing around the scene were doubtful that his device would work, so he and his brother put them on and went into the tunnel themselves. They quickly found two of the men from previous rescue attempts and pulled them out to safety. Others joined in after seeing the successful recoveries and rescued several more. Morgan personally made four trips into the tunnel during the rescue, which would end up causing health-related issues for years afterwards. Now, I'll go out on a limb and guess that Garrett Morgan and his brother Frank didn't rush into the tunnel just to receive recognition and win medals. And that's good because they got none of that for a very long time. I personally read through at least 20 newspaper articles from that time. There was zero mention of the Morgan boys or even his life-saving device being used. City officials requested the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission to issue medals to several of the men involved in the rescue, but left Morgan and his brother off the list. Later in 1917, a group of citizens in Cleveland tried to make up for the omission by presenting Garrett Morgan with a diamond-studded gold medal. His National Safety Device Company received order requests from fire departments all over the country. When the news articles were printed, containing photographs of him, officials in a number of large southern cities canceled their existing orders, because he was black, and because people are dumb. The invention earned him the first prize at the Second International Exposition of Safety and Sanitation in New York City. In 1920, Garrett Morgan shifted gears and began the daunting task of creating a newspaper. In those days, African Americans were not allowed to advertise in white-owned newspapers. Even reporting on or writing stories about black people was considered a big no-no. Morgan's Cleveland Call newspaper would change all of that, and in 1928, the paper merged with the Cleveland Post, 
creating the new Cleveland Call and Post. It's still around today and is owned by Cleveland resident and famed boxing promoter Don King. As I mentioned earlier, Garrett Morgan was the first black man in Cleveland to own a car. He loved tinkering with his automobile and even developed a friction drive clutch. The first American-made automobiles arrived around the turn of the century. So in the early 1900s, streets were packed with walking pedestrians, bicycles, horse-drawn wagons, and motor vehicles. It was a mess. There were various versions of early traffic signals, but many of them, at least where Morgan lived, didn't have a warning signal. There was no yellow light. The options were stop and go. Imagine for a moment nearing an intersection and the light just flips from green to red. Now imagine the amount of horrific accidents that would occur daily or even hourly. To deal with the ever-growing problem of traffic accidents, a number of different versions of traffic signaling devices began to be developed simultaneously starting around 1913. Apparently one day, while Morgan was out and about, he witnessed a terrible accident between a horse-drawn buggy and a motorized vehicle. So he did what he always did and went to work on creating something that could help avoid any horse-versus-car accidents in the future. Morgan's inexpensive T-shaped design included an automated signal with a separate warning position that allowed drivers time to clear the intersection. The patent was granted in 1923. Now, this was not the first system with a warning. A three-signal system with an audible warning was invented in 1920 by a man named William Potts. Side note, the world's first traffic light was a manually operated gas-lit signal installed in London in December of 1868. A month into its implementation, it exploded, injuring the policeman who was running it. While there were numerous versions of traffic lights with various pros and cons, General Electric found it interesting enough to purchase the patent from Morgan for $40,000. That was a substantial amount of money in the 1920s, and equates to over half a million dollars today. At this point in the timeline, Garrett Morgan was nearing his 50s. Never intending to sit back and relax as he entered into his retirement years, he went ahead and purchased farmland in Wakeman, Ohio around 50 miles west of Cleveland. Readers of his newspaper opened the paper one day to see an advertisement for a new African-American-owned and operated country club of sorts. The advertisement featured a photo of the handsome inventor and read, G.A. Morgan, Heads Movement for New Resort and Village. Your choice of over 200 building lots for $60 each for cash or on-time payment. A warranted deed guaranteed with each lot when paid for. Help us to have a village of our own at Wakeman Heights, near Wakeman, Ohio, 48 miles west of Cleveland Public Square, and 9 miles west of Oberlin, Ohio. All lots are good, level, and fertile soil. No swamps or sand. Size of lots, 30 times 80 feet. Some lots face Morgan's Lake, and some the Vermilion River. You may use these lots for building homes, camping, or garden space, just as soon as you have made your down payment. $10 is the down payment on one or two lots. Balance, $5 per month on one, or $7.50 per month on two lots. $15 is the down payment on three or four lots. Write G.A. Morgan & Sons, 5202 Harlem Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio, or phone Henderson 7821, and we will call for you by appointment in a covered car and drive you to the newly proposed village. 
better known as the Wakeman Country Club. If driving, take Route 20 to Wakeman. According to an article from the Norwalk Reflector, the name of Wakeman Heights was never made official, and Morgan's Lake was never dug up. There were, however, dozens of lots, a dance hall, boxing ring, training facilities, horse riding stables, and a restaurant called the Chicken Shack that all saw the light of day. The point of the country club was summed up in one line from the advertisement, help us to have a village of our own. While things had racially improved in a place like Cleveland in the 1920s, improved was a relative term. Discrimination and racism was rampant in the South and still something he dealt with every day in the Midwest. That's right, even a man with financial success, a reputation for being a genius inventor and saving countless lives with his inventions, didn't garner the respect he deserved. He wanted a place where people like him and his family and friends could feel comfortable and relax together. Newspapers began covering events that took place at the country club, often throwing in words like colored as to not offend or confuse their white readership. In September of 1924, a newspaper out of Pittsburgh highlighted the celebration thrown at the country club for the 60th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. The article discussed some of the key events taking place on that Saturday and Sunday. Some of Ohio's most brilliant speakers were present at the celebration. The Ohio National Guard, Company A, 1st Battalion Infantry, had a dress parade with 165 men in uniform. Ball games, dancing, fishing, croquet, lawn tennis, and quoit pitching were the chief amusements. What is quoit pitching? I didn't know. It turns out that it's like horseshoes and ring toss. Pretty sure I've quoited before. There were articles discussing events at the Wakeman Country Club well into the 1930s. Around the time of World War II, however, the Wakeman Country Club faded away. But Garrett Morgan continued to keep a home there through most of his life, and now his grandson, Garrett Morgan III, still has a home on the grounds. There are efforts going today to keep the country club's memory celebrated, with the Wakeman Village Council, the mayor, and members of a genealogy and history group pushing for an Ohio historical marker commemorating the Wakeman Country Club, along with a replica of Morgan's signature invention, the three-way traffic signal, to be installed in the Wakeman Community Park. Later in life, Morgan developed glaucoma, and by 1943, he was functionally blind. Despite his poor health, he continued inventing and working towards the advancement of African-American rights. He was able to merge his Cleveland Association of Colored Men with the NAACP. He was a member of the NAACP until the day he died, and often donated money to historically black colleges and universities. One of his final inventions was a self-extinguishing cigarette which used a small plastic pellet filled with water that he placed just before the filter. Upon my researching the idea of fire-safe cigarettes, it still hasn't been properly addressed to this day. Garrett Morgan, the genius, accomplished inventor, and hero, died in Cleveland, Ohio on July 27, 1963. It was one month before the centennial celebration of the Emancipation Proclamation, something he had been very much looking forward to. Just before his death, Morgan was honored by the U.S. government for his traffic signal invention and eventually restored to his place in history as a hero of the Lake Erie Rescue. His legacy lives on thanks to his grandchildren. His granddaughter, Sandra Morgan, who has worked at some of the finest universities in the country, delivered an amazing talk at a school named after her grandfather back in 2017. I recommend looking it up on YouTube. 
Since his passing, the Garrett A. Morgan Cleveland School of Science and the Garrett A. Morgan Water Treatment Plant have been named in his honor. An elementary school in Chicago was also named after him. In 2016, an elementary school bearing his name opened in Lexington, Kentucky. In Maryland, there's a street named after Garrett Morgan. And that's all amazing and obviously well-deserved, but I believe that everyone should know the name of Garrett Morgan. I'll certainly be ordering a few of the children's books about the man for use in my school's library. And hopefully this episode will help get the word out on all of the amazing things this man was able to accomplish in a time where people couldn't accept a black man's efforts to help and save lives. And sadly, there are a lot more men and women out there like Garrett Morgan who we don't talk about enough. He may have referred to himself as the Black Edison, but I'm sure that there have been plenty of White Morgans since then. Thank you for listening. Please visit Curator135.com for more information on the inventor. I also have my new shop opened up with some great podcast-related merchandise. Also, if you have a moment and you enjoyed this or any of my other episodes, please leave a five-star review. It really helps. As always, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you.